0: We've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath.
1: Hello, everybody. Happy Thursday, one and all. Thanks for being here. I'm Crystal Heath. This is The Frittle Show on KVXL 101.1 FM. Experience Liberty Radio, coming to you from Liberty Baptist Church on Rainbow and Lake Mead. If you'd like to join us Sunday morning, our services are at 930 and 11. Fifteen. You can be part of the program by emailing radio at com or calling 702-647-4522. And of course, if you would like to, you can tweet me. I am on the Twitter at The Frittle. I'm also on Facebook at The Frittle. That's a, but Twitter really, That's if I'm on social media, I'm probably on Twitter. So that is the place where you can find me. This Sunday, this Sunday if you're in Las Vegas, you want to be here at Liberty because we are having our Harvest Fair celebration. Free pumpkins, free pony rides, free free bounce houses, free face painting, free petting zoo, all kinds of fantastic stuff going on. So hope you will join us. For that, there's a lot going on right now here at Liberty and, uh, and with the program as well. Today we have uh, Tara Ross. She is a uh, just an incredible historian. She just wrote a new children's book called We Elect a President. I'm excited to talk with her about that at the bottom of the hour. Uh, next week we're going to have Speaker John Hambrick. He's the Speaker of the Nevada Assembly. He'll be joining us. we we'll have comedian John Christ will be back. Uh, and there's somebody else I have booked for next week. Who is it? Who is it? Who is it? Who is it? I don't remember. <laughs> but there's somebody else. Uh I know I have a third one next week. I don't remember who it is. But um yes. You'll just have to tune in and find out. All right. So, let's start off the day with a with a trip around the political realms. So, uh so Donald Trump was in Nevada yesterday. I was able to watch part of his uh, speech in Henderson. He was in Henderson and I believe Reno. Uh, last night, but his speech in Henderson, I actually had credentials for, but unfortunately wasn't able to get down there uh, for it live. We had another event going on at the same time. But when we got back, I was able to uh, to catch some of the Facebook live stream of that event. I thought he actually gave a pretty decent speech in some parts, and other parts were um, not as good, just put it that way. But what cracks me up like I literally was laughing this morning when I pulled up the 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 news cuz I always check the news when I'm getting ready for the show all of the news all of the news about Trump in Nevada we're not talking at all about the substance of his speech which there was some there wasn't I'm granted there wasn't a lot I'm it's just who Trump is there's not a ton of substance but there was a good bit at least in the speech in Henderson that I uh for the part that I saw there was you know at least I would say nine to ten minutes of substance. It's it's hard with Trump because he doesn't use a teleprompter at all, and it doesn't appear that he used notes at all, so he just kind of goes on and on and on, and at some points it's decent and it's got meat to it, and then at other points you're like, okay, now how did we get here and what are we talking about? But anyway, the only headlines today from Trump's visit to Nevada is the fact that in Reno last night, he... Was attempting to make a point about how, uh, m- how many people say the name of our state incorrectly and why you should say it correctly. But in doing so, he kept saying Nevada as the, pr- as the correct pronunciation, trying to school, uh, liber- liberals and leftists because they're saying it wrong, when in reality, he was saying it wrong in his attempts to, uh, yeah, it was. It is really actually kind of funny. But not funny. I realized that here in Nevada, I didn't realize how big of a deal this was until I moved here. Because everyone on the East Coast, unless they have some sort of West Coast affiliation or grew up in California or somewhere around here, they have no idea that it's pronounced Nevada. Because everyone I know on the East Coast says Nevada. Why? I don't know. It's just the way it is. But then again, hey, there's the, the county in Pennsylvania where all the Amish are is Lancaster. And here in Nevada, you probably say Lancaster because of that place in California. So, you know, different people pronounce things different ways. But Nevadans are very um sensitive about this issue. Uh, so, so, so he's trying to show off and... Th- demonstrate that he knows the correct pronunciation, whereas others don't. So he says this in Reno last night. He says, heroin overdoses are surging and meth overdoses in Nevada. And he purposefully pronounced it slowly. And then he says it again. Nevada. And you know what I said? I said, when I came out here, I said, nobody says it the other way. It has to be Nevada, right? And if you don't say it correctly, and it didn't happen to me, it happened to a friend of mine, he was killed for saying Nevada. Still waiting on the fact checker on if Trump has a friend that was actually killed for saying Nevada instead of Nevada. Uh, But it's just, what's funny to me is, one, that he's trying to show off his pronunciation skills and fails. And two, that this is the only thing the media covers from both of his events in Nevada yesterday every headline, every top headline in Google is that Trump mispronounced the name of our state I mean really these are the important issues in the world today and uh, Senator Harry Reid was quick to inform the presidential candidate that (laughs) that it was incorrect Um, some sharp tweets from him and uh, and then he blasted Trump for not taking a stance on uh on Yucca Yucca Mountain Nevada which is out about 90 miles outside of Las Vegas it's our controversial waste depository nuclear waste depository which is what makes it controversial so Trump was uh he had an interview with KSNV here in Vegas and uh twice he was asked a question about the nuclear waste depository, and twice he avoided it. Uh, He said, I'm very friendly with this area. I have the hotel here. I will tell you I'm going to take a look at it because so many people here are talking about it. I'll take a look at it, and the next time you interview me, I'll have an answer, Trump said. He was asked a follow-up about uh, concerns the repository would hurt tourism, and uh, to which he replied, number one is safety, and it is a little too close to major population, so I will take a look at it, and I will have an opinion. I actually think that right there is one of the wisest things I've ever heard Donald Trump say. Because too often political candidates, or really just anybody in general, we, we pretend that we have an opinion about something that we really know absolutely nothing about. So I appreciate that rather than being the typical politician and spouting off some answer about something that you probably have never heard of before, that you say, you know what, I don't know. I'm going to look into it, and next time you talk to me here in Nevada, I'll have an answer. I think that's a great answer for a politician to give, because, look, we expect these people to that travel to all 50 states—well, they don't travel to all 50 states, but you get what I'm saying. Everywhere they go, they're supposed to know the answer to every single question and have an opinion on every single issue that's important to each and every one of us. And the fact of the matter is, if they are actually human— that's impossible. They can't. I don't know everything about every issue in West Virginia right now. I don't know everything about every issue in in uh, Indiana right now. I, In fact, I have no idea what people in Indiana are most concerned about right now. Now, granted, I'm not running for president, and normally you would get briefed by your advisors going into that state, going into those interviews, hey, these are their five top issues, these are the things they'll probably ask you about. But even then, like, that's a lot of information. You got the whole country to cover. So I didn't think that was, I, I actually thought that was a good answer. Hey, I, I don't know. But I will look into it and I will find out. I think that's a great answer. It's better, I'd much rather have you say that than have you spout off something that doesn't make any sense related to the issue and then leave everyone scratching their heads going, Why, Uh, what? Anyway, what's interesting though, latest poll, Bellwether, Nevada, uh, Hillary is leading Trump here in our state by three points. Did you know that historically what happens in Nevada happens nationwide? Nevada has sided with the winner of the White House in all but one election cycle since 1948. So you could say, you as a Nevada, and your vote is very important, very important, I would encourage you to get out and vote, uh, whatever day it is, November, November, uh, yeah, second I want to say, but I don't think it's the second, first, I don't know, this is terrible, how do I not know? Off the top of my head. Because it messes me up. It's the 8th. It's November 8th. It's the 2nd. Okay, yeah. 2nd Tuesday. Got it. It's because I have so many family birthdays in November. And they almost always fall around election day. So it always throws me off. It's almost always my mom's birthday is like the day before election day or the day after election day. And this year it's not. This year it's later than it usually is. And it keeps messing with my head. So my mom's birthday is November 3rd. If you would like to send her a present or a gift or tell her how wonderful she is, that would be incredibly appropriate for you to do. Yes, I encourage you to do that. But anyway, so it's November 8th, so your vote is very important. here in our state, I believe early voting opens up October 22nd, so uh, just over two weeks from now. Two weeks left to make a decision and then get out and vote. Your vote is incredibly, incredibly important uh, but a survey here in our state of seven hundred registered voters uh, following the first debate in the last week, they found that Mrs. Clinton leads donald trump forty four percent to forty one percent with Gary Johnson drawing eight percent. interestingly, interestingly, forty nine percent of those polled considered both both of this year's presidential candidates terrible. consider both candidates as terrible. Jobs in the economy were considered the number one issue by 50% of respondents. Wow. Among Clinton supporters, 3 out of 5, or 60%, say they are voting more for her than against Mr. Trump. So it's not so much that they dislike Trump as that they like Clinton. However, among Trump supporters, 48% say they are voting against Mrs. Clinton as opposed to voting for Mr. Trump. That's, yeah, I'm not even going to comment on that one. I think think it speaks for itself, and I would agree with that statement. I think that polling data is probably fairly accurate. But polls change polls fluctuate and these will continue to change and fluctuate as well but we're coming down to the wire so make your decision uh, you know last week everyone was talking about and earlier this week uh, in the debate mr. K- Senator Kane rather kept bringing up Donald Trump's taxes and how Donald Trump used this used his business to write off his taxes and oh my goodness it's so evil how could you do that? Which I was surprised that Governor Pence, this was the one thing that I thought he left uh, the hanging fruit on, was the fact, and actually I think he may have mentioned it in passing or mentioned it and then started getting talked over either by Senator Kane or by the moderator. But the State Department, while Hillary Clinton was the boss, the State Department, quote, misplaced, unquote, six billion dollars. So while everyone is freaking out about Mr. Trump writing off 1 mil little less actually than 1 million dollars in business losses legally on his taxes. Why why is no one talking about the fact that under Hillary Clinton our state department misplaced they just lost 6 billion taxpayer dollars? I mean, you want to talk about budget cuts? I mean, that's there's $6 billion right there. Maybe we don't need cuts as much as we just need to take better care of what uh, we've been given. Like, you lost $6 billion? How do you lose $6 billion? I think you only lose $6 billion in a place where money doesn't really mean all that much to you. And I think the only point where you reach that money doesn't mean all that much to you is when that money is not yours. Because if I had $6 billion, if I had $6 million, it's $60, I'm pretty sure I'm going to know where that is almost all the time until I spend it. This is from the Washington Times. The State Department misplaced and lost some $6 billion due to the improper filing of contracts during the past six years, mainly during the tenure of former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, according to a newly released Inspector General report. The $6 billion in unaccounted fund poses, quote, a significant financial risk and demonstrates a lack of internal control over the Department's contract actions, according to the report. And said that these missing funds could, quote, expose the department to substantial financial losses. You think so? You think $6 billion might be a significant financial loss? Of taxpayer dollars, by the way. It's not like the government is printing this money and then losing it. No, it's your money that the State Department lost under Hillary Clinton. Now maybe you think that it's wise to give someone who mishandled 6 billion dollars of your taxpayer money control of the entire country. Or you know, maybe you think it's a bigger deal if someone writes off 916 million of their own money on their own taxes. Maybe that's a bigger issue to you. That's your prerogative. So really, you know whatever happens to float your boat or sink it, either way, just vote before November 8th or on November 8th if you're here in Nevada. But fascinating enough, by the way... Fascinating enough... Is the fact that we now know... Uh, that the Trump return tax return write-off scandal... His his write-off of uh, his net ap- operating loss... You know, Hillary's camp has been pushing that. Tim Kaine was pushing that. As it turns out... That... Uh, It turns out that Hillary Clinton's tax returns from 2015, she took a $700,000 write-off on the same line as Trump's write-off. She took a $700,000 loss. Business loss. Which, you know, when I look at this tax return, I'm going... What is it that you're taking a $700,000 loss on? You've been employed by the government. How do you write off $700,000? Like, seriously, what, what does Hillary do, or what has she done besides work for the government? I guess we've got some book sales in there, maybe? But you don't write off $700,000 in book sales. I have a book. I can't even write off my book sales. I don't sell enough books. And you say, well, then you should be able No, it's complicated. I don't get it. I don't get it. For me, with Trump, it makes sense. He's like, well, this failed, this failed, this failed. Here's my three businesses that failed, I'm going to write them off. Okay. That's a part of business. But what has Hillary done that she writes off $700,000? I don't know. And I'm sure it probably is legitimate. I'm sure there's something there that, that she needs to write off. I don't know what it is, but it's there, and she takes that deduction. Everybody takes the deductions that they are legally entitled to on their taxes. If you don't, you're paying the government more than you have to, and that's just silly. So Hillary took the same deduction that Trump took. Okay. No big deal. Let's all move on with our lives and be happy, because we can. Seriously, though. You need to know about these candidates, you need to educate yourself on these candidates, you need to make a decision that uh, you believe is best for yourself, that your conscience can live with. Make a decision to vote for someone that you believe will do what is best for your children and grandchildren, and that you believe will do what is best for this country as a whole. And not just at the top of the ticket. You know, we talk so much about the presidential race that I think sometimes we forget, but there are many, 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 many down-ballot races and good people running for a variety of offices, and they need your support. We have congressional offices. We have good congressmen that need you to show up and vote for them. We have a Senate race this year here in Nevada. You need to show up and vote in the Senate race. You have local races. Your assemblymen and assemblywomen are running for office. It's a huge year for Nevada and Nevadans. So be sure to get out and vote. You need to, by the way, you need to be registered to vote. Uh, if you are planning to register by a paper application, that needs to be turned in no later than this Saturday. You can still go online and register up until the 18th. If you have a, Nevada's, a Nevada driver's license, you can register online uh, for about another week and a half. But make sure that you get registered so that you can vote. Early voting starts October 22nd. Election day is, of course, then November 8th. So, don't sit this one out. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. We couldn't even if we wanted to. But just vote. Okay? Today's programming is brought to you by Krispy Kreme Donuts Fundraising Opportunities. Krispy Kreme fundraisers are available year-round and they can take place over one to two days or one to two weeks. If your educational, religious, community, or charitable cause is looking for a fun way to meet your financial goals, Krispy Kreme can help. Krispy Kreme provides free fundraising materials for your use. And you can visit KrispyKreme.com slash fundraising or your local Krispy Kreme to learn more. Our thanks to Krispy Kreme for their support of KVXL programming. Alright, we're going to take a break. Let's go with Chris Tomlin, Whom Shall I Fear? And we'll be back in just a minute with Tara Ross to talk about our electoral college and her new children's book, We Elect a President. Stay with us. And welcome back. You're listening to The Friddle Show on KBXL 101.1 FM here in Las Vegas. Today we have Tara Ross is joining us. Tara is a mother, a wife. She's a writer. She's written several books, including Enlightened Democracy, and one that I'm holding in my hand right now, we're going to give it away tomorrow. It's called We Elect a President, the story of our our electoral college. It's a children's book about the electoral college, and I saw this. uh, Someone in my Facebook feed shared it a few days ago, and I was like, That's fantastic. Someone's written a kid's book about the Electoral College. I have to get to know this person. So Tara is here. Tara, thank you for joining us.
0: Oh, thanks for having me.
1: Oh, no, it's I I, literally when I saw this, I went, wow. This is this is so good because, you know, especially during the electoral season, this always comes up. Every time there's a presidential election, you have people saying, oh, what's this electoral college? And then you see everyone sharing their own version of what they think will happen with the electoral college map. And then people are like, well, what about the popular vote? Shouldn't that be the only thing? So I saw this. I thought, what a great idea. Somebody writes a kid's book about this. And then I went to your website and I found... All this incredible information you have, you go through five myths about the Electoral College on your website. Uh, So if you don't mind, I'd I'd like to start there because I I found your article, Eliminating the Electoral College Will Make It Harder to Steal Elections. You call that an Electoral College myth, and I've heard it over and over again this year. So, so talk about that. Is it true that if we would eliminate the—well, maybe we better back up. Maybe we better talk about what the Electoral College actually is first. So explain to us what the Electoral College is, and then we'll get into these myths and talk about the book.
0: Sure. Well, when you go to the polls on Election Day, it looks like you are voting for a presidential candidate. Yes. You actually are not. You're voting for a slate of electors. You are mm-hmm. voting for either a Republican slate of electors, a Democratic slate of electors, or a third-party slate of electors. And I think it's important for people to know these are actually different sets of people. You're not expecting, you're not voting for a Democrat and expecting them to go vote for a Republican in the Electoral College. It's these are literally different groups of people who have agreed to rep- represent your state based on who wins the election. And so that, there are, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, go ahead. There are 51 of these elections all over the country. That's because we have 50 states plus Washington, D.C. These are totally separate election processes to elect your electors. Now, these 538 people in total that are elected on election day will go to a completely different election in December. The media will almost completely ignore it (laughs) if it's a normal election year. Right. And those 538 people cast votes on behalf of your state and it takes a majority of those electors to win the election. If nobody gets a majority, there's actually another step to the, to the election that could happen. It's, it's been a while since we've used that, but if nobody got a majority, we would go to the House of Representatives and have an election there.
1: Right, so you, you mentioned that there's 538 electors. Um, who, who are these people and why, you know, we, we look at these maps and we see, oh, well, California gets this many votes in the Electoral College, Pennsylvania gets this many, Nevada, where we are, I think we have either six or eight. I'm not sure. How, how is that determined? Why do some states have, you know, 50 and others get three or four?
0: So you have the same number of electors as you have representatives in Congress. I'm from Texas. We have 38, um, 38 electors. That's because we have 36 congressmen and two senators. So there is an element of, of your, allocate, your electoral allocation that has to do with population. But everybody gets two electors f- just for being a state <laughs> because sure. you've got two senators just for being a state. So, so that was really a result of the same compromise that produced our Congress mm-hmm. um, as the founders were trying to figure out how to balance things between the, the small and the big states.
1: Okay. And that that actually leads into where where I was hoping to go next here is that, you know, every state does matter. Some people will say, well, it doesn't matter. The candidates don't come visit us. We don't matter. We get ignored. Why is that not true? You mentioned that every state gets two no matter what, but why is it that every state does actually matter? It's not just these swing states or the states where you might see the presidential candidates popping up all the time during a presidential season. Well,
0: there's a couple of things. One is if you go look at the history of our presidential elections, the identity of safe and swing states changes all the time. Mm. I mean, this is not something that's just static, set in stone, it never changes. You know, even California used to vote Republican all the time. They voted for G- George H.W. Bush. I mean, wow. so yeah. it's 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 this is this is something that changes. It's it's not permanent. People if if you think about the 2000 election, um, George Bush, everybody remembers that he won Florida because there was a big fight about Florida. Right. But what people don't remember is that he won West Virginia. And that was a big deal because West Virginia then was a safe, blue state. Huh. Al Gore had, and the Democratic Party had not been paying enough attention to that state. And so, you know what, the, the state flipped. And if he had not flipped that, that blue state to red, George Bush would would have lost and Florida would have been irrelevant. So, you know, these are things that change more often than we give them credit for, number one. But number two, I would say, look, the safe states are not unimportant. They have made up their mind early in the process. Mm. That's all. I mean, California has made up its mind based on, I don't know, climate change issues or Obamacare or whatever all the things are that have been happening for the past four to eight years. They've just already made up their minds to some degree. And and, you know, that's the way these things work. again, if if the party ignores them for too long in, in its governments, then it'll become like West Virginia, which flipped over environmental issues by the way, but it will become like West Virginia and it will it will change its mind and it will do something different.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned Florida in the 2000 election. Obviously as you said, everyone remembers that because there was the hanging Chad controversy mm-hmm. and everything was about Florida at the time and that I think is really when many people, at least in, in my generation, our generation, started to look at this idea of the Electoral College and really try to figure out why we have this, why we don't just have it be a a popular vote. So answer that question if you would. Why is it not okay, you got the most votes across the country, you win. Why did our founder decide, no, that's not how we're going to do it. We're going to have this Electoral College in place.
0: Well, the Electoral College, as with many other aspects of our Constitution, came about because our founders have studied their history mm. and our founders knew that if they created a pure simple democracy in which you know 51 percent ruled the other 49 percent all the time without question no matter what <laughs> like yeah. that's a really dangerous situation sure. it's, it's governments that are like that implode and the reason they implode is because they, co- they become subject to mob rule or emotional rule um you know it's it's you can imagine in the wake of 9 11 and fear anger outrage a majority or even a plurality of the country could do anything to the rest of the country with regardless of, of what it was. And the founders realized, you know, this is not a safe situation for large minority groups. And of course, they were especially worried about the small states. So, th- so they said, you know, we're going to create a constitution that incorporates some elements of democracy that is important to us. We just fought a revolution <laughs> over that principle of self governance. Right. Yeah. We're not gonna let that go. But we're gonna have other checks and balances in our constitution. We have separation of powers, we have presidential vetoes, supermajority requirements to amend the Constitution. Um, the electoral college is just another one of these safeguards and as it works today it really makes sure that our presidential candidates have to build a national coalition, build that stands different states, different regions, different kinds of industries. And, you know, I think um, if we want kind of an example in our modern-day life of why this is working, we can look no further than the Republican primaries (laughs) this year, which, whether you liked the outcome or not, I'm not arguing about the outcome, the process was ugly. The process was divisive. The process... There was nothing in that process to make people come together, work together, focus on their similarities, any of that stuff. And if we did – so, you know, that is is separate from the Electoral College. And I would argue that the primaries would be more successful if the political parties could figure out how to make the primaries more like the Electoral College, where we have to remember at the end of the day, you know, we need to come together and unify – and remember that we are fellow countrymen, you know. Interesting, yeah. We have lots of things in common, more, sometimes more things in common than we have differences. Um, but, but the primaries just encourage us to focus on our differences and to hunker down in our little corner and just, you know, try to get a better plurality than the next guy. Sure, <laughs> so yeah. that was not healthy for us. And I, to me, that is exhibit A. Those primaries were exhibit A on why we need to never get rid of the Electoral College, because we do not want our general election to look like those primaries look this year. Sure,
1: sure. And what's ironic to me is that many of the people that I hear that complain about, well, our state, the candidates never come and see us, or, or, you know, if we could get rid of the Electoral College, then my vote would count more. The problem with that is, wouldn't it turn out that if we actually did not have the Electoral College, then why would there be any reason, really, whatsoever, for, say, a Hillary Clinton or a Democratic candidate to go anywhere besides, say, California, New York, the, the solid blue states, or any reason for Trump or whoever's the Republican candidate to go somewhere besides, you know, Texas or, or Iowa or wherever else happens to be read at the time?
0: Right. I mean, why would you? It's just, it's pure math, right? If you yeah. could go get 4,000 votes in Los Angeles, where there's also like probably 4 million more people that would go your way. Sure. Why would you go to some little town in Wyoming that has 4,000 people? It doesn't make any sense. It's just It, it makes more sense to go not just to the big states, by the way, but the big urban areas. Mm. So, you know, Even in New York, in New York, you'll hear people complain about the big Democratic urban areas outvoting the Republican, um, less densely populated areas in New York. And, and they complain about that. I mean, just if you're going to take that dynamic and move it so that it's a nationwide dynamic instead of an occasional local frustration, like, I think that would be a really bad thing.
1: Right, right. Yeah, and then you see the same thing happen in Pennsylvania everywhere where I'm originally right. from, is you have the, the urban areas of Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, and then you have pretty much the entire rest of the state that uh, right. that votes differently every election, and that really drives what happens in the state. But okay let 's get back to to where I started way ahead of myself obviously uh, with this article you wrote about how eliminating the electoral college it 's a myth that if we got rid of it, it would make it harder to steal elections that's something that we have seen obviously in two thousand with the with the Florida and the voting mess there, but then it's become a more prevalent theme as we go by as we talk about voter fraud as people talk about oh well if i lose it's going to be because they stole the election and you know one way they did that is through the electoral college so to explain to us why that is a myth why would getting rid of the electoral college actually uh um how eliminating the electoral college making it harder to steal elections is not true
0: So I'm not going to argue that it's impossible to steal elections because we live in a perfect world and there are bad people and and all this sort of stuff. But what we'll argue is that you can make it harder. Okay. so right now, if you want to steal an election, you need a couple of things going your way. First of all, you need the national election to be close enough, the national electoral college count, not the popular vote, but the electoral college count to be close enough that swinging just one or two states will make a difference. Mm. Uh, And you also need those states to be close. You know, it doesn't do any good if, like, if somebody went to Ohio by 10 points, you know, and Ohio is the one state you need to flip. Well, too bad. It's not going to, you know, it's just not going to do you any good. So you need both of those things going. Those things have to both be close at the same time. Then the other thing you need going for you is you need to be able to predict in advance where to steal that vote. Um, and, by the way, if you can predict it or think you can predict it, then probably everybody else in the country has figured it out too, right? <laughs> so think Ohio 2004. Everybody was very, very worried. Well, I knew plenty of lawyer friends and there were poll watchers, all descending upon that state, watching it, right? So, it's, it's, um, again, I'm not claiming, claiming it's impossible, but you've made a situation where it's as hard as possible. You need a couple of things to line up for you. And then you need, and then you have to steal the election while everybody is watching you <laughs> do it. Right. Um, now, by contrast, without the like Pearl College, you could steal votes in any part of the country, hmm. anywhere, no matter how easy it was to steal and affect the national outcome. Hmm. So now you're on defense in every precinct in this country, instead of just being on on defense in you know a handful of precincts in a location that maybe we're all suspicious about. So imagine how easy it is to steal votes in the bluest blue California district or the reddest red Texas district, right? Right. Probably pretty easy, honestly. But if the state is that safe, then you really – it doesn't – it doesn't matter, you know? I mean, sure. if they're going to steal Republican votes in Texas, hooray for you, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it probably doesn't matter. So it, it, it's just a good thing where it is hard to steal votes. It, it, it matters where it's hard, and it doesn't matter where it's easy. And that's a good situation that we have
1: today. Yeah, it, it really is, and I, I think it's sad that we, as a as a general rule, that our populace is so uneducated as to why our founders put the electoral college in place, even how the electoral college works. Like, I'm amazed at how many people do not know even why each state has the has the number of of votes in the electoral college that it does. It's a simple answer, but most people don't even have any idea. They think it has something entirely to do with population, which It kind of does, but it also doesn't. So you've written this children's book, which, as I mentioned, we're going to give away tomorrow. Let's talk about your book. It's called We Elect a President, the Story of Our Electoral College. So you've taken this, what many people might view as an incredibly complicated issue, and turned it into something that even kids can understand.
0: Right. So I had written an adult book um, several years ago, and, and, you know, I... I hope that helps, (laughs) but but it occurred to me we really need something even easier because this is not taught in our schools, and we have a whole generation or two or three that have no idea what the Electoral College is or why we have it, and so I really just hope to create a tool that would help um, parents and their kids, probably parents will learn something from it too, (laughs) and learn together, and so I... um, you know, it was a challenge. It was it was an interesting challenge to think about how to say things in a way that that kids are going to understand. One tool that I that I used is I have a um, I worked out a deal with my my fourth grader, and so Emma, my daughter, wrote her own, um, or she helped me come up with examples for her own section in the book, cool. and it's called Emma's Corner, and it's it's supposed to come up with like a modern day example. Of something that will help a younger kid to grasp a kind of intangible concept. Yeah. So, and for they're,
1: example, they're great sorry. too. They're they're all throughout the book. They're fantastic. Yeah,
0: they are throughout the book. So the first one, I, the main text is talking about why we fought the revolution because we had no representation in Parliament. You know, we couldn't vote over there. So her corner says, one day we were we re- were voting which book to read in class, and I voted for Charlotte's Web, and that was great. And then Charlotte's Web won, and we're happy. And um and then she said, you know what? It's a good thing the teacher didn't say something like, only the blonde kids get to vote. Because mm. That would not have been fair. And so the idea is to take a hard concept and to kind of bring it down to an easier level for kids.
1: And make it relatable. Yeah, that mm-hmm. makes sense. Exactly. So how in-depth is this book? I mean, is it something that we can get our first graders in, or is it more fifth, sixth grade, all across the board?
0: Um. Well... I just read it to a bunch of fourth graders yesterday at a school, actually, and who all seemed to get it. And um, I, I I think, I don't know, first grade, I think, I think you could start off there. They're probably not going to get everything because, it, look, it, it is kind of hard underneath it all, right? Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. But, um, but I think somewhere around second or third grade you can start in with it, and I think it's fine.
1: Yeah, I would say for sure. I haven't read all of it yet, uh, but I do have it on my desk. I've been flipping through it throughout the day, and – it really i it's it's a great book i think Thank you know depending you. on your child and how old they are they may or may not be able to grasp all of the concepts but i think it's a great starting point even for the kids that may be younger it's a great way to just platform and uh and springboard into a discussion about our electoral process and why we have it why it is the way it is the illustrations are are great i love whoever illustrated this is, is, is really she good a,
0: she was a senior in high school can you believe that oh she wow did a great job she did
1: a fantastic job my favorite run is uh, is uncle sam scratching his head that's, I, that's I classic that <laughs> i love that one too all right tara so. well we are uh, we're out of time but thank you for being here where can people find your where can people find we elect a president is this on amazon
0: it is on Amazon, and if you go to WeElectAPresident.com, it will take you straight to the Amazon link. Or oh, you, you can always go to my website, which is TaraRoss.com.
1: All right, so it's com, or you can find Tara. She has some fantastic articles all about the Electoral College and all different things happening uh, in our government. You should definitely check that out. It's Tara, T-A-R-A, Ross.com. Thank you, Tara. Appreciate you being here, and wish you the best of luck with your book.
0: Thanks so much. I appreciate it.
1: Yep, stay tuned. We'll be back in just a minute. This is 101.1 FM Experience Liberty Radio in Las Vegas. And welcome back. We're wrapping things up for this Thursday here on the Frittle Show. This is KVXL 101.1 FM Experience Liberty Radio from Liberty Baptist Church here in Las Vegas. Reminder, Sunday Harvest Fair, 6501 Westlake Mead Boulevard is where you want to be, 930 or 1115. We are giving away free pumpkins. You can also come and experience a free petting zoo, free pony rides, free face painting, free games, free bounce houses, all kinds of fantastic fun and free stuff you do not want to miss that we'd love to have you and your family here with us coming up next is going to be dr david tice with living in liberty his program is underwritten by a nonprofit, hope christian health center hope christian health center exists to glorify god by demonstrating christ's love among our las vegas neighbors through excellent and affordable primary health care for all you can reach them at 702-644-HOPE or online at hopehealthvegas.org our thanks to hope christian health center for their support all right. What would you like? Would you like a story or would you like a song? Because I'm I'm actually running over time now. What shall it be? Alright, well I'll I'll give you a headline for a story and then you can go and Google it yourself and then we'll do a song and then we'll go to Living in Liberty. Does that sound good to you? Because it sounds good to me, and that's what we're about to do. 1866, today, October 6th, 1866, was the first ever U.S. train robbery. Why would I find this interesting? Well, because it happened on this day in history, and also because it was carried out by the Reno gang. They were a gang of brothers. Brothers. And that is all I'm going to tell you. If you want to know more about that, you're going to have to go look it up yourself because I am literally out of time. So instead, I'm going to play Christian Stanfield with Even So Come, and then we'll have Dr. David Tice with Living in Liberty. Have a great day. Join us back here tomorrow. I'm going to be giving things away because it's Fun Friday. See you tomorrow.